You're listening to the Editorial Intelligence special broadcast from the Names Not Numbers Symposium. More information on namesnotnumbers.com. Thank you very, very much. We're all very impressed um, to have so many of you with us at such an ungodly hour. So um, it must have been some almighty nudge, or it must have been Julia who got you all here for 7.45. Um, we're going to take it very gently because we know you're in breakfast shape. Um, we've got a fantastic panel here to discuss the individual and state intervention, a good breakfast topic, um, otherwise known as nudge versus nanny. Um, and I guess we're doing this because if we're talking about how we shape policy, uh, we're also talking about how we shape community, and that's what we're here for. Um, now, it is early in the morning, so I'm just going to say that nudge, as in nudge economics, nudge theory, is actually based on the insight that we are not totally rational all the time. We're not totally awake. We're not totally efficient economic beings. But there is a little bit of Homer Simpson in all of us. And that our behavior does actually depend on the environment and on the context. Um, I know you've probably seen this under your pillow. And you've all read it, haven't you? Oh, there were some yeses there. Um, that's the, yeah, sorry, got to hold this up. Um, the authors of this very influential book and why we're talking about it claim that their nudge theory helps people make better decisions without forcing them, without nannying them, without passing laws. You can just give people a, a, a gentle nudge and they will make better decisions. Um, what they're doing and I hope some of you are going to come back to, this, to us uh, on this, is they're going to use the tools of marketing and PR and behavioral economics for policy. Um, again, as I know, I'm sure you all know the theory, but it is breakfast time, so I'm going to give you a couple of examples of what they say nudge economics can do. Uh, let's start with a, a serious one, a notable one to do uh, with the authors uh, who are from the U.S., is to do with saving plans. They're very obsessed by savings uh, and picking the right mortgage. And they're probably right, because if people had saved more and picked the right mortgage, uh, we might not be in the financial state we're in. They ran a pilot, and they found that just by changing the default on an employee savings plan so that you had to opt out rather than opt in, people saved well, three times as many people, and ultimately four times as many people, actually opted to save. Uh, so that's a gentle nudge, but a big result. Um, the other example, uh, how many of you know the example to do with Amsterdam Airport and the men's toilets? Matthew, of course. A few of you. Okay. This one is not to do with the authors of the book, but they're quite keen on it. Uh, to do with the men's toilets in Amsterdam Airport in Schiphol, uh, where they have a, a presumably resident economist who has managed to, sorry, this is breakfast, but reduce spillage by 80% by the use of nudge. And what he's done is he's etched a picture of a small fly just near the waterline. Uh, and he found that if you give men a target to aim at, they aim, and spillage down 80%. Again, no need for bossy notices, just a gentle nudge and a picture of a fly. Um, now, so far, so fun. Um, but it is more than an academic theory. We wouldn't be here discussing it if it was completely ivory tower. Um, my interesting uh, reading has been there is a nudge unit at the Cabinet Office. Uh, who are producing weighty and worthy and interesting tomes like so. Uh, and one of the authors, Thaler, is an unpaid advisor at Downing Street. So policy is being shaped uh, as we eat. Um, the other author, Cass Sunstein, uh, is an advisor to Barack Obama. Um, so there's a lot of influence going on there. It's new, or it's a new application of old economics. So the verdict is still very much open 
uh, as to whether Nudge does it well, uh, but maybe Nanny does it better. Um, I'm also hoping, a point I've got to make, is that it is an American book. Uh, they call Nudge libertarian, this is quite difficult to say, libertarian paternalism, quite a mouthful. Um, it's had a very different, uh, garnered a very different reaction in America, uh, where there have been attacks on it uh, as actually trying to foist a nanny state, uh, and particularly uh, a, a, a well-argued book against the nanny state defending Americans' rights to eat as many Luther burgers uh, and carry as many arms as they would like. And I'm hoping that we'll have time later on to get onto Luther burgers. Um, but just so that you know, the British government, the topics they have in their sight, and this is before I introduce you to the panel, uh, have the following. They have smoking. This is what they want to nudge us out of and into. Smoking, organ donation. They want to look at teenage pregnancy, alcohol abuse, and they've got particularly a campaign starting uh, with student drinking in Wales. Uh, diabetes, also a big issue here. Obesity, exercise, and care of the elderly. Um, I'm going to ask our panel to give us their thoughts three or four minutes. Um, Polly, would it be all right to go four minutes or five minutes? Um, panel discussion, a short panel discussion, but we have such a, an interesting and a distinguished audience that I'd like to leave um, lots of time for questions at the end, uh, and by which time you may uh, be ready for questions and have finished breakfast. So let me introduce the first member of our panel, who, as they say, needs no introduction, Una King, um, or more properly, Baroness King of Bow, who has just, on Thursday, given her maiden speech to the Lords. She uh, did notice that Hansard were writing it down wrong, so she went over and corrected them. So that might be a bit of nanny there. Nudge. Nudge. Oh, she nudged, nudged them gently, sorry. <laughs> She's now Diversity Executive at Channel 4. She was formerly Senior Policy Advisor to the Prime Minister, that's Gordon Brown, MP for Bethnal Green and Bove, uh, Vice Chair of the British Council, and very nearly uh, Labour's candidate for London Mayor. Una, would you mind kicking off? Thank you very much, Alice. Now, isn't it a pleasure to be here at this extraordinary event uh, run by the extraordinary uh, Julia and billed as Mental Yoga? not to be confused at this hour in the morning with mental torture. Um, and I pride myself on being honest, or as honest as a politician can be. Let me be honest. Were I not speaking here, I would be in bed uh, right now. You are all made of sterner stuff, and I salute you. Um, I do think names, not numbers, may be an elaborate experiment to see what happens to the lumpen proletariat when you expose them to a lot of champagne and sleep deprivation um, at the same time. So let me demonstrate the results. Um, this morning, I would like to just go over a couple of the perceptions uh, around this debate, explain why I think they're a bit of a confection, um, and predictably offer something of a third way. Um, now, in the traditional um, debate, this is often characterised as left versus right. You've got the uh, mollycoddlers of the left versus the laissez-faire Darwinists of the right. And, you know, the left don't care if they end up having to wipe your bum, and the right don't care if they end up having to wipe you out. And either way, it's not a very pretty sight. Um, the nanny state at its worst creates a uh, dependent, impoverished, apathetic, non-aspirational uh, underclass and at the other extreme, the anti-statist individualist uh, tendency at its worst creates exactly the same. It's just a non-dependent but still absolutely impoverished, apathetic, non-aspirational underclass. Now, the difference, though, is that the nanny state is perceived by some to fight human nature, uh, whereas proponents of nudge argue that its um, big USP is that it goes with uh, human nature. And I actually think um, that this is the big issue. Who has the better grasp on human nature? Uh, if you can answer that question, I think you get better traction uh, on this debate. And so the re I think that you need uh, triangulation uh, between the two, because as any of you who have employed a nanny will know, 
all good nannies employ nudge theory. Uh, it goes without saying. Um, and so the most important thing, the most important aspect of the nudge debate, I think, is that they introduce um, human nature and psychology at a, uh, a primary level, really, um, in determining things. And it's the nanny-nudge debate, I think, is like the nature-nurture debate, um, which has more impact, nature or nurture. And that's exactly the wrong approach to take because they do not exist without the other. They cannot be separated. And I only really understood that when I read that extraordinary book, Why Love Matters. I'm sure most of you will know of it or have read it, but if you haven't, you really, really, really should. Um, and in that book, there's an example of, when talking about nature nurture, there's an example of a cake. And they say, look, you get the eggs and the flour and so on, you put them in the oven, if you took that cake out of the oven and you said, oh, but I want to see which bits are the eggs and which bits are the flour, you could not because they do not exist once they are baked in the oven separately. They only exist together. And it's the same with nature and nurture. And I think it should be the same um, with nanny or nudge because, as I say, any good nanny is a nudger. Um, so I think that, of course, our individualism is the most precious thing about us goes without saying, um, but our potential as individuals can only be nourished uh, within uh, a nurturing community, uh, the family and then the community, locality, etc. So paternalistic government, um, that's fine if you can agree on the common good. Um, and where you can, especially where you've got, uh, in parliamentary terms, uh, you've got agreement or cross cross-party agreement at the best uh, option, that is fantastic. And a really great example of that is um, what Ian Duncan Smith did with Graham Allen, two MPs who've published an extraordinary report uh, on early intervention. And that, it seems to me, is the beauty of nudge. It takes early intervention uh, across the across the canvas, really, across the piece, uh, and puts it into uh, practical uh, demonstration. Now, I just wanted to sort of um, just give you one an anecdote before closing, which was uh, Baby P and a social worker uh, that I came across who said that she found it extraordinary the way our entire country had been united with grief and sorrow at the hideous torture of this 17-month-old baby boy. You'll recall the one who uh, had 50 injuries, including broken back, broken ribs, um, um, fingers sliced off, all that, tips of his fingers sliced off, all that sort of thing, nails ripped off. And what the social worker said was, it would be amazing, this country's reaction, if baby P had survived his horrifically abusive childhood. Because if baby P had survived his horrific childhood, all the evidence shows that he would most likely have become um, a sex abuser, a wife beater and a paedophile and the entire country would have been united in its rage and anger and would have wanted him hung by the neck. And it seems to me that there's a uh, fundamental inability to recognise that the lack of action, i.e. the lack of early intervention, um, at one stage, the most important stage, leads to these outcomes that we then revile um, at a later stage. So in um, summary, and I will um, just look, I will get rid of one, two, three pages here. That's quite, that's, that's good of me, isn't it? Um, <laughs> yes, yes, we did. Um, but I will just mention the um, situation of women in the boardroom. One last uh, stat. Did you know that in the top FTSE 250 companies, 53% of them do not have a single woman on their boards? 53%. But the really interesting thing is when they did a study of the Fortune 500 companies, those with the most women had a better return on equity that was over 50% better than the companies with the least. So people need to be nudged to change that. But if they don't do it through nudging, in my view, they need a good slap, not just a nanny. They need a slap. They do need quotas. Uh, in Parliament, we did need uh, all women's shortlists. Uh, and so I think that just goes to prove um, that when it doesn't work, uh, I don't just want a nanny. I want super nanny. 
And my third way is nudging nannies for all, not just the middle classes. Thank you. Thank, thank you, Una, and I hope we can come back to a bunch of those topics, um, especially the McKinsey report on women in the boardroom. Um, that, would be, that would be great, um, but that will be up to the audience um, later. Um, I'd like to introduce our next panellist, um, who is Tommy Helsby. He is chairman for Europe, Middle East and Africa for Kroll, the world's largest corporate investigations uh, company. Um, it's much bigger business than I realise, nearly 4,000 employees uh, in 25 countries. And Kroll investigates internal fraud and corruption. Uh, Tommy has said in the past um, that opportunity, uh, I think I'm paraphrasing, uh, is a begetter of fraud. Uh, it, is, it was in the papers, it must be true. Um, Possibly. Um, his clients ra range from large companies um, to, uh, I'm told, Russian oligarchs and occasionally governments, uh, although much of his work is confidential, as you would expect. Um, amongst Tommy's recent public engagements, now I realise that makes you sound like Kate Middleton, sorry about that, um, he has been reviewing corruption allegations against a deputy prime minister. Uh, not ours, this one is in the Czech Republic, uh, and investigating uh, corruption in the Ukraine, in procurement. Um, so uh, I hope that uh, you have some insights to share with us, Nanny versus Nudge, uh, particularly in the world of business. Thank you. Um, I think I'll sit. <laughs> um, one of my colleagues, um, an American from Georgia, um, full of um, southern wisdom, one of his few um, uh, printable, repeatable pieces of wisdom is uh, uh, where you stand depends on where you sit. Um, so I thought by saying, telling you where I sit, um, I didn't have a nanny, um, but being an upwardly mobile chap with a working wife, um, my children did have a nanny. Um, so my view of nannies um, tends to be that they're good things which give you more freedom, um, freedom to do the things that you want. Um, and as Una said, one of the things that definitely I feel about panels like this, you don't want to be last because all the good lines will have been used, Neil. Um, um, good nannies are very good at... Um, nudge at very good at uh, behavioral modification um, through gentle pressure um, but occasionally nanny has to say you'll do it because I say so um, that, that the essence of the, um, the distinction is that you get to a certain point where something has to change into um, an instruction or a rule rather than just a, um, a hint and a push or a nudge. And what this struck me to be rather like in the business world was um, the principles uh, that have operated in financial regulation. And if you think back to the way people talked about financial regulation uh, three or four years ago, the distinction between the way that the US approached it, um, a rule-based system, and the way that the FSA approached it, a principles-based system. And for those who aren't so steeped in that world as I am, um, the essence of the distinction is that um, what we in this country like to think we were doing was saying, this is the way we think it ought to be. This is the principle on which um, the financial system ought to work and we'll leave a little bit of flexibility in how it gets interpreted to make sure that we give scope for um, the system evolving. Um, whereas in the US there tended to be a much more hard rule-based system um, which of course gave rise to large numbers of uh, lawyers applying themselves to working out how you could do what you wanted but stick within the rules. 
Um, neither system worked terribly well in financial regulation, um, but what there tends to be is a swing from one to the other. You go from a system where um, everybody has rules and people object to a system which is based on principles, um, which then begins to get abused. And I think that perhaps my view on um, nannies versus nudge is that, as Una says, any system really requires both. Um, I think when I'm driving, um, I know I could drive on the left side or the right side of the road, and both systems work equally well, but I think there needs to be a hard rule that says we all drive on one side. Um, I do think it's better to wear seatbelts. Um, and it's not so clear whether um, imposing a rule on seatbelts is something which is um, a requirement, because after all, I could decide, well, I don't care. And perhaps a better example is um, crash helmets for motorcyclists. If, if I decide that I don't care that I'm going to be killed in a motorcycle accident, well, I, why should I wear a motorcycle helmet? Um, and for a long time, if you remember Jimmy Savile and clunk click every trip, um, we did try to nudge people to wear seatbelts. But it gets to a point where you say, actually, the right way to nudge people into wearing seatbelts or motorcyclists to wear um, helmets is to pass a law. Because actually what the law is there to do is to give the excuse for those people who would rather not be doing what they know they'd rather, they really ought to do, um, to say, oh, well, I hate wearing these bloody helmets on my motorbike, but it's the law and I don't want to lose my license. And so, in effect, what the law has done is nudge people into doing what they know they really ought to be doing in the first place. Um, so, to my mind, the, there is actually rather an interesting interplay between um, nanny's rules and um, gentle nudges, and the one works very well with the other. The, the one thing that worries me about this conclusion is, as Inna says, there is a sense in which um, the, um, the, 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 uh, the laissez-faire nudges sound a bit like the Tories, and the nannies sound a bit like the Liberal Democrats, and it feels like I'm saying that the coalition is a good thing. I'm, I would hate to think that. I'm, I'm sure you're not saying anything of the sort. <laughs> But I think what, it's very interesting, I hope we can come back to it, what, what seems to be what you're saying with the financial re regulation is it must also very much depend on what we think people are like, uh, whether we think they are uh, rational and interested in their own good and able to follow good role models and able to follow interpret principles uh, or whether they need... I think um, it, it, a bit like one of those that came up, came up yesterday, it's long-term versus short-term. Mm. Um, Generally speaking, um, doing the right thing requires thinking about the long term. Nobody ever um, said that I'm going to start a diet today. It's right. always next week. Right. Yeah. Um, and um, nobody <laughs> says, well, uh, what people do think is, well, I haven't had a car accident so far, so why should I wear a seatbelt today? Exactly. Um, but when you think about the long term, the clearly the potential for you having your car accident is that much greater. So maybe we need some nudges to I help didn't us. notice very many people wearing seatbelts on the coach. Ah, okay, so we know we have an audience of short-termists. Okay, thank you. Um, my, our next panellist is Suzanne Moore. Uh, as you all know, award-winning journalist uh, on the Daily Mail, um, following stints on The Guardian and The Independent. And quite a long trajectory as she started her career at Marxism Today. Um, in the last election, she stood as an independent candidate uh, in Hackney North and Stoke Newington, uh, where she said at the time she would like to see more honesty in politics and candidates who are recognisably human. 
Suzanne, your thoughts on Manny versus Nudge? Well, obviously, I lost badly. Um, I thought I'd just try to frame the uh, context of why we're talking about this. Uh, it seems to me it's really a debate about over-regulation, under-regulation. Um, having seen a new Labour government that clearly over-regulated private lives, under-regulated the market, that's where we're at. This results in a complete lack of trust in politicians. Um, and what culturally has replaced that trust, I think, are not other politicians, nor these American self-help books which I think nudge, I mean, I'm sorry if people are fans of Malcolm Gladwell, etc. but we've got a lot of this stuff coming in, which is basically one sentence, as far as I can see, turned into a book. Um, and we are told that these, this is a, a great thesis that will sort of sort everything out. I don't think it is. Um, what preceded some of these uh, political moves was actually, we, would, we were already softened up to be nudged, by endless uh, self-help industry and endless TV programs, how to eat, how to have sex, how to clean your house, um, and super nanny. All of these things implied that none of us knew how to do any of these things unless we had a so-called expert. These experts were never properly qualified. And now, look what, where we're at. The cooks did very well out of it. Heston, uh, who, who, what's it, Fernley, Whittingley, Posh, whatever his name is, is now telling us about fishing quotas. Heston Blumenthal is now trying to reform foods that we eat in the cinema or something. Jamie Oliver, of course, is now in charge of education because we have Jamie's Dream School. How is this happening? How are cooks, and they're good cooks, you know, but how are cooks making social policy, what, what's happened to that bit that we should be doing. One of the reasons I think is, as individuals, we're very poor at assessing risk. We're very bad at assessing risk. We want other people to do it. The other thing that's happened is, and the failure, of, one of the failures of uh, New Labour is how we define the state in the first place. There was always a very good argument to be made for the state, not the nanny state, but a benevolent state. A state, you know, instead of saying the state is going to clamp down on you, you say the state is when you go to the doctors and you're seen immediately. The state is when, you know, a, a nice nurse looks after you in hospital. The, the state is human, <coughs> excuse me, the state is recognisable. What, what we got instead was the state is CCTVs, the state is CRB checks, the state is incredibly authoritarian and it will stop you doing things. I don't believe any of this nudge stuff. I think it's a Tory policy based on not having any money. I think it's impotent. Um, I think where behaviour does change, and we can see it, um, like when I look at my kids, um, they would think something like drink driving was immoral. When I was younger, everybody did it. I mean, we can see where attitudes change and, and how they change. Um, but when it comes to any really hardcore issue, uh, such as, say, paedophilia, we don't do nudge, we do absolute, you know, we come down hard. If you look at any real social policy that's going on in schools, for instance, that are said to work, the new academies, it is the absolute opposite of nudge. It is total over-regulation, it is uniforms, it is discipline, it is old-fashioned. So we can go back to old models of how we um, do behaviour modification. One of the old-fashioned ones was always about, we talk about organ donation, was always blood giving the giving of blood. Societies that give blood rather than sell blood and make a gift, you know, are societies that, where we have more of a civil interaction and we don't, we don't um, value everything. Uh, we don't put a price on everything. Uh, but I cannot see, I, I mean, I just see the fact that there's a nudge unit in, in number 10 as a way of papering over cracks. I see, in the same way as I see big society as a lovely, lovely idea, but when it comes down to any hard cases about who volunteers, how, and where we need people to volunteer, I, I see a situation where, you know, the Women's Institute are really going to deal with crack addicts, are they? You know, we're, 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 we're sort of living in a fantasy world that sort of behaviour can be modified by people who don't even know very much about, about it. Um, so I, 
having said I don't like these, um, this whole sort of layer of, of experts who've replaced bu bureaucracy, there are some people who do know how to modify behaviour. They work with children. They work intensively at early intervention. Um, that's, where, that's, that's where I would like the money to go, not in this kind of vague idea of um, nudging. And all the big issues, if we talk about obesity, I can go on a diet tomorrow, I can take personal responsibility, or we can regulate the food industry. Now, which is easier? It's easier to make me feel terrible and me not to really do very much about it. It's much, much harder to say, you know, stop selling crappy food in schools. And we know, and we, we know this. So, I, I, so no, I'm, I, don't, I don't buy the, this nudge stuff. I think it is, as always, the economy stupid. That's all it's saying. Thank you very much. Um, so nudge, policies on the cheap. We want real expertise um, and real direction, perhaps, um, which is a good moment to move on to Neil. Um, who I'm sure you all know, Chairman and Chief Executive of Neil Stewart Associates and Policy Review TV, and importantly, shareholder in Julia, um, director and shareholder in Julia, um, with a long-standing knowledge of public health policy uh, and the political process uh, from his time as Director of Communications at the Royal College of Nursing and polit Political Secretary to Neil Kinnock. Yeah. Um, um, I feel a bit like uh, Nassim yesterday. This nanny versus nudge is a slightly false picture because there's nudge, there's the nanny which is making laws and regulations and then there's Tommy which is will you get caught. Um, all of you here, even though you may feel grumpy about it, all of you here live almost all your lives by nudge. Um, although there are rules that you live by, Virtually none of you in this room will have been visited by a policeman in any guise, whether it's a social worker or uh, an actual policeman or a tax inspector or anything else. You all behave roughly according to the rules because you consent. Consent. And I was, was going to get Simon to come in, but happily he's nodding. When people talk about politics and uh, numerical and things, they, they, they fail to understand that what you have to do is carry consent. Now, I loved a thing that uh, Boris uh, Johnson did about the Roman Empire and how they managed to run the whole of Europe by consent because they offered up <laughs> Roman citizenship and that picked off the middle classes and the trading classes and it built consent and that affected mass uh, behaviour. Um, so no, no so, Roman legions there at all? No, no, there was always had to be a policeman to remind you that if you didn't behave that way, you could be caught. But all of us here would have signed up because all of us here would have been happy, almost certainly, to go along with it and to consent. A lot of this nudge nanny stuff, um, I mean, it's good. There's a, an important reason for that uh, conversation. Um, as Alice said, I used to work for the Royal College of Nursing. Nurses are the archetypal nannies, and I used to get very fed up with this. And I published, at the middle of some pay dispute, I published a, uh, an advert of an angelic-looking nurse uh, asking for her pay, and it said, don't underestimate nurses. We stick needles in children for a living. <laughs> now, that, of course, is true. All the great health advances have not been achieved by volunteerism, um, you know, building the sewers and cleaning up the water was acts of community. We're talking about the individual and community. We're talking about the averages and improving it. Uh, clean up the water. Then the great efforts on child surveillance and the health visitors in the 30s. Um, then the sort of the National Health Service in 1948, the free health care. Then the immunization and immunisation was compulsory. It was all done to our children in schools. So in that case, the nurse was the policeman. They did turn up and do it. Um, and we go through all of that. The smoking stuff, um, Jack McConnell, who was the Scottish First Minister, who did the first smoking ban, I remember speaking to him the night before it came in, and he thought, I could be finished tomorrow. There's going to be riots in Rose Street in, uh, in Edinburgh. And nothing happened. Dis 
despite the screams of the Daily Mail and everything else, because people actually consented. Now, it didn't stop people smoking, but it did shift the averages massively. I'm in favour of banning trans fats and other things. It won't stop me eating too much, but it'll make a big difference to my kids. So there are lots of interventions that need regulation, etc. Why is this such an important debate now? It's because in the complexity of our society, we've reached the point where we haven't quite reached the limits of those kind of things like build the sewers, immunise your kids. Uh, we now need the cooperation of large numbers of individuals in their behaviour to recycle. Unless we're going to send policemen into people's houses, you need that consent. So you need people to behave like they're in a community. And uh, some of the things that uh, Susman and Thaler have highlighted, which are very good, which is that, you know, things like showing how many people in your area are saving on energy, then people behave as part of the community by trying to catch up with the average. They have a sense of behaving in community. Yeah. And it's actually about recreating a sense of behaving in community because actually we're all so atomised. I mean, I, I live in a suburb in London where I could hardly tell you the names of the people in my street. I moved out of Scotland 20 years ago and I can tell you the names of everybody who lives within 10 miles yeah. because that's, that's the map. And that, uh, so I, that affects your behaviour, sense of community. And a lot of the stuff they're doing is derivative of, um, uh, uh, is the character here, is it Robert Caldini or Caldini? Caldini, yes, yeah. yes, the Italian pronunciations. Um, his book on influence and how people behave is the best one, and it's on the civil service uh, reading list from 1981. Um, that's what people should go back and have a real look at. But a lot of what he was doing was just discovering how successful institutions have used nudge and persuasion as well as the policeman and uh, law and coercion. Um, and it's interesting, again, to go back to Nassim's bit, if you live in a fragmented society, then it's not just that you don't feel shame, you also don't feel the group Connection. pressures. Yeah. Um, so how do you create that um, through uh, social media and other things to try and drive people's behaviour where the things that we need to change now are these things that in, in uh, the think tanks they would call, you know, recycling has to be a kind of co-production. Mm. You can't send the bin men into your house. It has to be the people in the house that cooperate. They have to consent to do it. And how do you speed that up? Uh, you'll never get everybody to do it, yeah. and you don't want to send the policeman in. That's the interesting insight. But actually, we all live most of our, what we call nannying and laws and things are actually just part of it. Um, in well, finance and other things, it really yeah. is about whether you get caught or not, whether you believe you're part of a community. And I think, going back to the really big, ugly things that happened in finance and happened in marketing, there's a lot of people who think they live in a world where they're never going to get caught and therefore they don't behave as part of a community. So we always need, we need bit, Tommy and the policeman to, so Tommy, they know that there's Tommy somebody the there. I think Glad to know I'm needed. Tommy's <laughs> needed um, and nannies are needed um, because nanny gave us some of the best things we have and we now need to think more about behaving like a community which seems a very good moment uh, to open it to the floor. Um, what I would love is if you, I don't know if we're being, are we being recorded? Um, so you know the drill. If you could say your name, and it would be a great help if you could say which member of the panel that you would like to answer your question. And please, well, perhaps we can do it as a nudge. 94% um, of all Port Merion attendees make their question an actual question rather than a speech. Um, so that if you could um, say who you would like to address your question to... Um, and I think, do we have some microphones? Um, Nanny versus Nudge, what are your thoughts? We, can, we, can we start with the, 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 is that Professor Taleb and Claire Fox over there? Uh, uh, there's a small problem with Nudge, is that it can be used to manipulate citizens in the wrong direction, particularly, uh, you know, it exacerbates model error. Uh, to give you an idea, nudge performed by uh, Professor Thaler, you know, that became so famous. Well, you, you nudge people into investing in 401k in America, and they put their money in the stock market, which is a sucker trap, okay? And hence you had that transfer of uh, several trillion dollars from savers in America, <laughs> in the name of savings, into 
the pockets of bankers. Now, now, how can you mitigate something like that? Giving nudge, or, or nudge, for example, the government wants to stop people from eating fat, and then we discover 10 years later uh, that uh, actually it's carbs we should have avoided, not, not fat, because they're not natural. How, how can you mitigate? I mean, you're giving nudge is such a powerful tool to exert control over someone without the person knowing they're being manipulated. This is why I find it very dangerous. So is this uh, a question perhaps for um, addressing Suzanne's point, which is where are we getting our experts from? Who is actually using this nudge? No, it's not where we're getting the expert from. How do you mitigate expert problems? Okay. By having, because there's no such thing as a real expert. But, okay. Everybody makes mistakes. So we're, we're never going to get perfect experts. Exactly. What's, yeah. what's a, what's a, how do you mitigate the fact, uh, and how can you avoid having someone nudge us into doing crazy things? Okay. Yeah. Okay, so corralling the experts, Claire, if we can take two or three at a time. I didn't know there was a rule about asking questions, so I'm not going to try and pretend I am. Um, <laughs> Some nudges Tom, don't Tommy, work. Tommy said um, that uh, he discovered by having a nanny that it's a good thing because it gives you more freedom. Uh, it might give you more freedom, but it doesn't give your children more freedom. No, and the reality is, is, is that the nanny... Um, in this relationship, or you know, even just the kind of concept of nanny or nudge, is all about treating us like children, and it's about restricting our freedom. I don't see nudge as being more progressive or less interventionist than nanny. It is, as has uh, um, just been said, more manipulative, though. But the, the thing that I really think we have to at least query is, it's assumed we all know what behaviours we want to change. I don't know that we agree on what behaviours we want to change. And... What about the freedom, for example, to make bad choices? It is quite feasible that I do know that if I drink too much, I might get drunk and have a hangover the next morning. I don't want anyone to nudge me into stopping, right? Because I am actually an autonomous, rational human being who can make a decision to behave badly once in a while or frequently. And so I think you have to be very careful that you assume you uh, know that. But the most, worth, the most important thing, I suppose, is... It's a glib idea that, oh, well, you know, nudge assumes that not all of us act rationally all the time. And first thing in the morning, you can think, oh, yeah, when do I ever act rationally and blah, 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 blah. Kind of great joke. But this is about the political elite saying that they're going to bypass reason, that they're going to take us as people who can use reason and ignore it and actually try and avoid winning an argument with us. So basically, if you read the literature, say the problem is, is that people are not persuadable by reason, facts, evidence, and so on. So can we get round all that and just make them do what we want them to do in the end? Mm. This is absolutely dangerous. It's dangerous. So I hate okay. nanny, and nudge is even worse. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Claire. I think, actually, as we have um, a, a, a former legislator and someone who's now reviewing, about to review our legislation for us, um, can I just put that one to you, Una? Uh, two points, which is... Um, the political elite are trying to bypass, uh, in some sense, the process, and uh, we need people to uh, guard us. Well, I mean, from Claire, you're, you're absolutely right. Your point that we don't, or, you know, who's to say we're going to agree on what we want to the outcomes that we want? Absolutely. But I mean, take the political elite themselves as a case in point. All women shortlist, so presumably you would rail against all women shortlist. Yeah, of course. Right. Now, the thing about all women shortlist and you say, oh, well, you're nudging people a certain way. What really gets me, last 500 years, we've had male-only shortlists. That's what we had. And if you want to change that, then you do need to take direct action. And the point about nanning is it's a metaphor for taking action, direction, for directing people. Um, I do think it's, you know, you, obviously the points that were made about consent um, are really important. And it's about whether you want to change the status quo or not. And the last, I mean, sorry, there are so many points on what Claire said that I could pick up. But just one of them, um, which is about, you know, you can't... Um, you can't choose every area where people are going wrong. Blood donation, for instance. You're, ne you're never going to have a debate with everyone about blood donation. You're never going to have a debate with everyone about trans fats. You're never going to have a debate with everyone about a zillion things where on balance we know it is better uh, for that individual not to. And lastly, freedom to make wrong choices. Fine, I go with that so far. I mean, we'll all know the arguments about, well, what when others in the community have to pay for those choices through the NHS and all the rest of it. But for, m for my money, the most important point is you should not be free 
to make absolutely the wrong choices for your children. And that's why I think this debate should centre around early intervention. Early nannying. Um, absolutely. Could we have, is it, Di, did you have your, no? Professor Sharma? And? Um, this is working, yes. Yes, it is. Um, Simon Sharma. Um, I can see how the issue might be complicated, really, about whether or not motorcyclists should wear helmets. This is really a reply to Claire, which may or may not be helpful. In the United States, and it is really um, relevant to the question that I am actually going to put, is whether or not our discussion actually has an impact in the international sphere or not. In the United States, the argument is whether or not it is in the nature of rights inherent to individual liberties to be able to carry concealed weapons in a bar. Or not, and you know, children may not be involved actually. You know, but the so the issue is really extreme. And what has happened in the United States? Can I do? I promise not to do a history lecture, Alice. Sort of promise, but can I just put a little context? Why this <laughs> is about two? Yeah, you've heard that before. Two two American authors, because what has happened extraordinarily at a time of the collapse of regulation, um, for which the poor are basically carrying the can is a fundamental debate, actually, about the relationship between paternalism and individual sovereignty has opened up again, on which the American Republic was founded. America was actually founded, and you all know this class, I know, because the British government assumed paternalist rights in the 18th century to tax people in what they said were the interests of their own protection. And that was the argument Americans gave in order to initiate not just a new state, but a debate about... Hobbes versus Locke, what is it we surrender to the social contract in the name, ultimately, of protecting our liberty? And bizarrely, a kind of comic book version of that has reinstated itself precisely at the moment that we in the British community with a long inheritance of Beveridgean, high-mindedness, nannyist paternalism assume to be irrelevant. But all over the world, particularly in the Middle East, civic societies citizenries are being born and civil societies are going to have to be refashioned that look to see whether or not China or Singapore or extreme paternalist governments that don't even make an issue of quis custodiet, who shall decide what is good for us, are the preferred model of procedure or whether or not a kind of raw reversion to a default mode of the kind which sort of Thomas Jefferson disguised as Claire Fox actually wants to see it reinstated for modernity. So I was just, the, the question for the panel is, we've, we've all been, and it's impossible not to be in beautiful Port Nerian, very, very British and parochial about this. But this is a debate that has kind of global first principle implications. That's an easy one over breakfast, isn't it? How do you respond to that? <laughs> um, and you didn't say who you'd like to answer that question. Oh, everybody. Everyone yes, to yes. answer certainly the question. Tommy, certainly Tommy, because Tommy's, Tommy's out there in the non-British world. He's That's out there in the non-British world. Yes. Could we have, have we got time for one more? Yeah. Will Butler-Adams, just um, equally not really a question, just an observation from, um, from <coughs> making uh, bicycles, but rather like yesterday, <coughs> my feeling is that um, we are over-regulated at um, the petty level. In other words, I, I, I spent a while fiddling around in chemical plants and some of the regulation we had was beyond belief. Um, we needed six people to open a manhole to have a look and see if there's any crap in it. Um, it was, it's blindingly ridiculous. Um, but then in a different scenario where we, we are making bicycles and we employ a lot of people who have come from all sorts of interesting and difficult backgrounds and we spend quite a lot of time giving them self-confidence and teaching them about how to have pride in, in what they do. But these individuals um, do need help. There is something that worries me is pensions, for example. There is just a total lack of comprehension of the importance of that for that entire sector of society. And I think we procrastinate too much and theorize too much. If I spent this amount of time farting around trying to make decisions for my business, we'd have gone bust a long time ago. I think there are risks, but you need to take an 80-20 approach. Some things are so bloody obvious 
that the state needs to get involved, the majority of things they don't need to get involved in, which they are getting involved in, and just get stuck in and bin all the little stuff and the really obvious stuff that 80% of people in this room would agree with. Don't spend hours and months di you know, discussing it. Get on and do it. That's sort of my thought. Thank you very much. Well, with about one minute to go, Polly Nudges. Um, but we only did get one question. But we only Everybody did. Everybody else gets Firstly, what that proves is the power of nudge in this particular room is, tends, towards tends towards zero, or at least the power of my nudge. Um, but we got, uh, and this seems a very good note on which to kick off uh, the uh, first whole day at Port Marion, uh, the last two questions on we need to think, everyone, uh, over the next couple of days about no less than redefining the social contract. Um, so uh, I'm not sure even uh, at Julia's Port Marion that we'll manage uh, the whole of that, but I'm sure we will uh, come up with some good ideas uh, and will we need to redefine regulation, uh, stop procrastinating, uh, and also get on with the bloody obvious. Um, and I would just like to say thank you to the panel, and I would just like to ask them a quick question uh, in your personal life panel, if you were to ask your friends and family and colleagues whether they described you as more of a nudge or more of a nanny, what would they say? I'll just go through the panel. Neil. <coughs> oh, no, I'm a, I'm a policeman. I mean, people are terrified of me. <laughs> right? Beyond nanny, a policeman. Suzanne, what might they say? Um, nightmare. Nightmare. Um, uh, I mean, I just think there's nothing that that phrase, for your own good, you know, is just something we all have to be terrified of. So you, ne you never say, you just let them think that they've made their own decisions? Well, I think that's one, that's one way. Um, I mean, the sort of laissez-faire approach that Simon was sort of referring to about, I mean, about the in international um, situation at the moment is, again, it comes back to money, uh, whether we are going to finance the formation or help, you know, the formation of these, of a social contract for someone else over there. You know, are we actually going to do that? No, we're just going to talk about it. We're just going to talk about it. Tommy. Um, when we talked before, you said, you summed up my position as um, paternalistic libertarianism, which when I thought about it, I said, yes, that's the way I treat my daughters. Perfect. Um, I would say I am 95% nudge with a 5% streak of benevolent dictatorship. <laughs> Which always works. Always works. Always works. Well, thank you very much, and thank you to the panel for being a fantastic panel.